0: I did this. I communicated with, with with this tiny little bit of power and I was heard clearly all the way across the world on the other side of the world. And, and you know, anybody that's not impressed by that, you know, you, you really need to check for a pulse, man.
1: Hey there. Welcome to the Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it is all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. This is episode number 35, and I'm your host, Matt Robertson. As always, our website is everydaymarksman.co, and there you're going to find today's show notes, our links to our social networks, our blog posts, everything else, as well as our awesome community of marksmen in the Marksman's Quarter. Shout out to you guys. Been awesome. Love hanging out with you. Today, we are talking about radio communications, and my guest is NC Scout of Brushbeater and American Partisan. I know that as a pseudonym. Um, He goes by a lot of names, and I'm not going to give any of them away. But what you should know is that this guy has been there, done that many times over, and a lot of people out there already know about what he does. But to give you the quick and dirty, because he's going to give his own background as we get into the interview, he is a former Army reconnaissance member who's been in Iraq, Afghanistan, and he did a lot of scout stuff, hence NC Scout. And now he teaches all these skills to people just like you and me. Now, among those skills is radio comms. Now, I've been out on NC Scouts podcast, American Partisan, before, and we had a great conversation about what it means to be an everyday marksman and building your skills. Now, aside from shooting, I've always said that one of the most important skills you can get is communications. How do you talk to other people? Because so many people, me included, take this for granted. We just assume that our phones are always going to work or that, oh, I'll just go, I'll pick up that walkie-talkie when the time comes and it's just gonna work. And as a Scout's going to talk about in this interview, that's just not true. And of course, I have a little bit of guilt in this one, too, because I have talked about the importance of getting your ham radio license and got it last year and wrote about it. And my radio sits on my desk and stares me in the face every day. And I just don't do it enough. I don't practice. As always, if you are pressed for time, you could jump to the last five or 10 minutes of the episode and I'll give you my key takeaways. And I tell you now, there's only going to be one big one, but it's a huge one. All right, let's get to the interview. All right, Scout, welcome to the Everyday Marksman. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. So uh I know a lot of people are already familiar with your work, and and the topic of today's conversation is going to be about learning communications. Uh, but just to give people a sense of of where you come from in that background, I know your bio, you you know, you teach RTO courses, you did reconnaissance missions. So, um, Before we get into the first set of questions here, let's get a little background about where you're coming from when it comes to communications in general. So uh, that's
0: an awesome question, brother. Um, For me, I came from a long-range surveillance unit uh, in the United States Army. So that's kind of, if you go back and, and read some of the Vietnam lore, uh, the Lurps that were in Vietnam, kind of the modern incarnation of that was long-range surveillance units. I was uh, blessed enough to be a part of that. and uh, had a couple tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. And part of the skill set of being a lRS guy, is understanding the ins and outs of communications. I have to know everything about this. I have to know how to build my own antennas. I have to know exactly how my radio works, how radio waves propagate in the air, so on and so forth, because that is a critical lifeline to me accomplishing my mission it's not enough to sit and say you know my commo just has to work and somebody else programmed it for me something that i bring up in class is contemporary examples bravo 2 sas mission in uh, desert storm or operation red wings which was uh the seals from a lone survivor in both of those instances their communications failed and that was directly responsible for the circumstances That led to their situations and ultimately people getting killed. So for us, that was unacceptable. We were never going to have a mission failure because of a communications failure. And uh, for that reason, we really pounded home a large number of skills. But when the chips are down, uh, you're always going to be able to have solid comms because that is your lifeline.
1: I think, and I, I think we're seeing that play out right now because we are in the midst of a viral pandemic. And now there's, as we're recording this, at the last day of May, we are seeing civil unrest and riots and protests. Uh, and I think I saw something in the news that about like, the Chicago Police Department.
0: Yeah. So earlier today, they were jamming the Chicago Police Department playing uh, God is a Serb which is a, uh, a song. Um, I, I think me personally kind of interpreting it, I think it's more of a, a false flag kind of deal than, than anything else, because that was associated with radical right-wing stuff. But um, the fact is, though, they were using that to jam the Chicago Police Department's communications. And uh, so... Yeah. You know, one of the things I teach in class is to not rely on repeaters. And I know for a fact that Chicago Police Department, like all police departments in the United States, rely extensively on repeater systems that are Internet backed. And it is uh, Internet Radio Linking Protocol or IRLP. If you can hack that node, you're able to take control of their radio systems at the ground level, which is exactly what happened. Uh, So with that said, When you're talking about everyday preparedness and being a prepper and worrying about your family and your your preparedness group and uh, whatnot, you really need to stay the heck away from repeaters and any infrastructure that you do not control.
1: And that's going to a great segue to let's talk about how this path is going to work. So to set this one up. I have, I did a, a thought exercise recently and we were talking about pace planning, you know, and, and not so much a straight communication style, but it was one of these what if uh, questions about, well, what's in your get home bag? And I started running through scenarios of if I, if I have to get home from my office, you know, worst case, best case scenario, I drive this regular day, worst case scenario, I have to go on foot. And then to me, that, that distance is long enough that combo is important. And if I assume there's no cell phone towers, how do I communicate with my family? And that brought up some interesting questions. I like, okay, what can I do? And it, yeah, it just makes you think about how important comms actually are and how vital they are. And you can talk to your family or talk to your group if you have one. So um, let's talk about the setup. So, where does someone who, let's say they, because you mentioned a lot of terms in there that I think probably require some definition. So, you mentioned repeaters and, and the internet linking protocols. So, so all those things are things you learn. But let's start it from zero. Where do we even start? So when we're talking about starting with
0: a baseline, we want to establish a baseline of equipment, right? And so for most people, for 99% of the people out there, their entry-level radio is going to be a Baofeng, uh, that that Baofeng UV-5R. Um, and the really cool thing about this radio is is that it's like right around $25. Um, so, you know, the, the cost of entry is very low. And, you know, if you were to trash this radio and, you know, have to dispose of it or whatever, it's not really that big of a deal. You're not losing much for $25. But with that said, this thing has a ton of capability. Now, it's analog meaning that anybody can listen to it. There's no sort of encryption or anything like that uh, going on. And, and what you see is what you get out of it. However, um, if you live in a rural jurisdiction like I do, uh, you know, in, in a really rural county where a lot of the, the uh, emergency service traffic is still analog, meaning it's in the clear, that Baofeng able to listen to them as well. Uh, So I have fire and EMS dispatch that I can listen to with a Baofeng radio. And I always have that capability. So with that 23 to $25 of this piece of kit that I have, I can now listen to a broad range of things and I can communicate with a broad range of things. So, A lot of folks like to talk about range, uh, the range of this radio, the range of that radio. And I'll tell you that if you buy those those little handheld radios from Walmart, they're going to push one half of a watt and you're going to get, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile out of that. But with the bow thing. Uh, the nice thing is, is that the, the radio is very modular in its design, so you can attach external antennas to it. And uh, in the RTO course that I teach, in the basic course that I teach, uh, I teach people how to build their own improvised antennas. You're able to build antennas with uh, 14-gauge wire and uh, electric fence insulators and, and a couple of, of other parts that I cover in class. Um, that's going to increase your range to several miles, you know, tens of miles. So you're talking about having all of this capability in your hands for, you know, $25. And so when when we're talking about pace or our uh, primary alternate contingency and emergency, right? So pace, as you've talked about, pace permeates everything that we uh, use in our planning process. So if if I'm planning a route home, I have a primary route, an alternate route, contingency route, emergency route, right? Communications are the exact same way. I have a primary frequency, an alternate frequency, a contingency, and then finally an emergency uh, that are in that order, that, that pace, so that I have a logical way uh, or a logical layout to communicate when everything else has failed, and I have that in my hands again. I live in a very rural area, and you know sometimes cell phone service might be intermittent. My radio coverage, however, is not because I control that infrastructure. So when we're talking about current events with uh, societal unrest and social unrest and and civil chaos and whatnot. I am able to communicate on the ground uh, continuously. I am able to communicate no matter what. And nobody can shut that down because its successes or failures is entirely dependent on me.
1: All right. So let's, I mean, we've made the case that we need to do it. And the Bao thing is a good radio to start with. And I assume, you know, we want to get more power. You probably need to talk licenses. So we know there's three three levels. You know, there's the tech, the general, and extra, which separate conversation, I'll be linking yes. to all of those, um, where I feel like a lot of things go off the rails for people. And and I've been seeing a lot of YouTube videos lately from, from you know, so quote unquote influencers saying, hey, get your, get your radio license now. I mean, everybody's talking about the benefits, but I don't think it's enough to say, get your license and then buy the radio. Because like, for instance, I did that. I got my license last year, got my call sign, bought my radio. It's a handheld 10 uh, watt transmit. And I got new antenna for it. And I, and I still don't really use the thing because I don't know how I need to get some training on it. So once you get it, how do we practice?
0: Oh man, what a great question. Um, and, and awesome commentary right there. So that's a huge deal. And so first, let me say like, like, let's talk about making the case for getting that ham radio license or that amateur radio license. Uh, so ham radio, a, a lot of folks will, uh, you know, they think ham is an acronym for something. It's actually not. Uh, it's a nickname. Uh, ham, it means ham-fisted operator. That's where it comes from. For back in the, the old, uh, the early days of using Morse code and everything. And for those folks that are out there saying, you know, well, I don't really care about the rules. They don't really apply to me. Well, You know That may be true, that may be not true for you. I don't know. It it depends on your own capability, but I will tell you this. um, If you're one of those people that think you're going to get on the air and magically know what you're doing, you're the same kind of person who is going to show up at an IPSC match and think you know all there is to IPSC, and it's your very first day on the range, and you're going to make a fool out of yourself. Somebody doesn't become an Ibsic grandmaster on their first day at the range. It doesn't happen. Uh, it takes years and years and years. Now, the fundamentals can be taught in a very short amount of time. But to master those fundamentals, it takes nearly a lifetime. And it's the same exact way of communications. So... I can I can go out and I have this broad range of uh, this whole world that's opened up to me, communications-wise. I have all this technology, but I have this massive community that's also willing to help me. Uh, the amateur radio community is, for the most part, very inviting and is willing to share their knowledge as long as you're not being kind of kind of hateful about it. And, you know, don't don't wear uh, certain opinions on your sleeve, uh, but go there with a with a willing attitude to learn. And generally, they're going to want to teach you everything there is to know, because for somebody who's really passionate about their craft, they're generally very open to wanting to share that knowledge. Also, and amateur radio is very, very good for that. You have all this capability that's out there. And, and you take the test and you get that technician's license. You take that first exam. Uh, the technician's license will get you on the air for VHF and UHF. And so the way that I explain this in RTO course is very much like um, my technician's license will be good for my county or maybe a couple of counties around me that I can communicate with. It's very local in nature. Now, that's worlds better than having no license. Well, next, you have your general class. And with general class, that's going to get you on HF or high frequency. And high frequency is skywave. You're communicating over a region. Your antennas are much, much larger. But you're communicating over much larger areas. You can even communicate globally when the band conditions are right. Um, And you know your antenna is perfect, and and everything. We, of course, not to dive too deep into it, but the, the solar cycle is not very cooperative right now, so you're mostly going to get a regional uh, setup going. And then extra class, uh, extra class is as high as it goes, and all of the amateur radio frequencies are open to you. You know you're you're at the top of your game. You're the very best. And it takes a little bit of work to get up there. You know, you have to, you have to study and you have to get on there. But with that said, whenever I hear somebody say, you know, like, well, I'm new to this and and I want to learn the meat and potatoes and and I'm not necessarily looking for a hobby and whatnot. That's the same as saying, you know, or or running into that person who's like, this is my very first Glock. And I just want to know how to competently defend myself with this Glock. Well, you're gonna spend a lot of time at the range. You're gonna to go to the range, and and that first time that you shoot it, like you're gonna do that dot drill as a warm up, and then you're gonna you're gonna jump into maybe uh, you know doing a little bit of moving and shooting. Maybe you're gonna introduce a little collie to it, uh, a little bit of footwork, maybe multiple targets, doing transitions. Maybe you're gonna work your way up to force on force training. Well, it's the exact same thing with communications, that you're you're starting with a, a rudimentary knowledge and you're working your way up. That, and, and there is never going to be a time where you sit back and you say, I know all there is to know. You're never, ever going to be at that point. But you will get to a point with practice. And that's why it's so doggone critical to, uh, you know, you get your license and you get on the air in your practice and not just you. Like if people are in your preparedness group with you, you should also get those people to take that leap and get into amateur radio. And so amateur radio is just another way of, of building that community and building uh, that, that resource, that human resource that we're all chronically short on. If that makes sense.
1: Oh, definitely. No, it's funny. A couple of things that come to mind as you were talking. Um, I don't know about your observation. I, I'm curious to see if this happens with you, but but from what I see, it seems like when it comes to the, the tactical community preparedness, that getting people to actually do that licensing is more difficult. But a group who I've seen who is successful at it is like the off-roading overlanding groups uh, because they all build in these vehicle mounted radios and they want to use them, so that's kind of like, yeah. If you're going to join our club, you have to get your tech license and start using it. And I feel like that's a good model to follow. I'm not. I'm not sure how to get there. I'm not sure. What have you seen?
0: Uh, the Overland groups are a really good one to talk about
1: because uh,
0: that is directly applicable knowledge. So you know, when I was in the army, I, I had my I had my uh, Fort Bragg starter kit, which is a jacked up Jeep. You know, and and your uh, your radio in it, and, and you know your AR fifteen, and your cool guy Ranger up, freaking stickers in in the back, you know, and uh, <laughs> so you know wearing your Ranger panties on with with you know no shirt, no doors on, with with radio. One of the things that the overland community realized was back in the day, everybody used CB. And then they migrated to uh, re-band, VHF. Well, these frequencies are actually shared by government agencies when you're inland. And there were a lot of people, whether they were hunting clubs or they were overland and were uh, unknowingly interfering with other folks. So they moved to amateur radio. And then we have that much more flexibility because we can we can pick what frequencies we want. We can pick what band we want to use, whether it's VHF or UHF. Uh, we have all this flexibility. And it also, I'll tell you this, the overland community uh, and the ham community really started having some overlap with the field day exercises. So field day, it'll be coming up at the end of June where – All the hams are encouraged to take their equipment outdoors and, you know, work off grid and and have wire antennas and whatnot and see how many stations they can communicate with. Well, one of the really cool things about that was there was this whole subset of the ham community that took it to the extreme. They said, hey, we're going to build these. Awesome off-road rigs. We're going to take our rock crawling Jeeps and and we're just going to grow, go to like the, the ends of the earth. We're going to operate from the middle of nowhere, like the most remote inaccessible places on earth. And so it was a natural home for the overland community and the ham community to come together. And so you've got all this knowledge, this, this off-grid communications knowledge coming together and intersecting with you know the off-roading, the overland community. It was it was kind of a just a natural home between the two. That's really cool, man. That is that is so cool because you're you you've got this off-road vehicle that you put so much work into. And the natural extension of that is now I can communicate. From my vehicle driving anywhere on earth. I can go literally anywhere and it don't matter. And I can communicate with radios in my Jeep or in you know my Toyota or whatever my Overland rig is. And I can communicate anywhere and everywhere completely off the grid. Cell phone service doesn't matter anymore because I control it. I run it. You know, and, and that was so cool, and it's still so cool. And, and uh, man, I'm going to tell you, uh, for, for guys who are new to the ham radio community, if you get a subscription to QST, or Quebec Sierra Tango magazine, uh, it's printed by the ARRL, or American Radio Relay League. Uh, QST, every summer, prints an overland issue where they're they're highlighting dudes and their overland rigs and like what their 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 radio setups and their off-road trucks and it's really cool man it's really really cool to see that and um, some of these guys man they put thousands of dollars they already had thousands of dollars in their rock crawling rig you know and, and if you're like me you know that gets real expensive real quick uh, but then they turn around they put thousands more dollars into their radio setups, which is so awesome, man. And these dudes can literally drive anywhere and they can communicate anywhere. And uh man, you you want to talk about a bug out rig? You want to talk about a uh, survival rig and and having all your bases covered. There you go, man. And and uh it's just so, so cool.
1: You're pumping me up because <clears throat> I've been talking about doing this forever my wife's on board I just hey man, <laughs> need to get that's started. the
0: biggest hurdle they, they once once you've got the misses uh on board with what you're doing you're good to go like you've, you've got it covered man i've I've got a, a ford super duty that that's getting ready to get the uh the overland treatment so um yeah man
1: I feel you. So you mentioned going out to peaks things. It reminds me of something that somebody in our community brought up once, the uh, SOTA and POTA. So summits on the air and parks on the air. It sounds kind of like a similar thing, but that's mostly hiking out to a hilltop somewhere, setting up an antenna and trying to make contacts.
0: The cool thing about summits on the air is it's normally backpack based communication. So, you know, if you're into ultralight backpacking, um, which I've done some of too, you know, that Man, that's a whole category of, of capability right there that you're, you know, you're carrying this ultralight radio up a mountain, you know, in your ultralight backpack and getting all with the power source and everything on board and getting up there and activating that peak. So, you know, that's that's soda or summits on the air. Um National parks on the air or parks on the air, or POTA. It's getting really popular, especially with this, with all the COVID stuff going on and, you know, people on lockdown and quarantine and whatever. And uh, some of that stuff is getting lifted and these people are wanting to get out and get on the air and put their equipment out in the woods, in, in the national parks or on, you know, in, in the state parks, uh, which is, it's been extended to state parks too. And just like with summits on the air, you are activating that park. So each one of those parks has a number assigned to it and, you know, or you could just use the park's name. Um, I've had folks like, uh, I did a, uh, in from Gettysburg, um, I've done one from Appomattox Courthouse. I've done one from Grandfather Mountain. And, um, you know, so those you can either say that, you know, like you're at that park or you can use the number that's assigned with it. And, and the participants in uh, POTA or Parks on the Air will know because they there's a whole forum that's dedicated to it. And, and, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of resources that's floating around on the internet on this. And, um, you know, you're getting on the air and and you're talking to people and the whole goal is to just communicate with as many people as possible. Like just see how many people are heard. Like the last time that I did a, a parks in the air activation, um, I had uh, conversations with people in Europe. It was uh, a a radio contact is called a QSO or a Quebec Sierra Oscar. And um, I had a QSO with a gentleman in Italy, one in Romania, um, which was really, really interesting because it was only running five watts. Uh, So a tiny little bit of power, a uh, wire antenna, the uh, one that I built myself, strung it up in the trees, and and here I am, uh, here in Virginia, communicating with uh, somebody in Italy, somebody in Romania. Here I am, you know, communicating with Europe. You know, on this tiny, tiny amount of power, and that's so cool. Like even even somebody that's been into in ham radio and communications for for a long time. You still get a little giddy about that, man, that like, oh, wow, I, I, I did this. I communicated with, with, with this tiny little bit of power and I was heard clearly all the way across the world on the other side of the world. And, and, you know, anybody that's not impressed by that, you know, you, you really need to check for a pulse, man, because they, I don't think they're alive, uh, you know, I, I get giddy about that. I, I think pretty much anybody else does, too, or should, um, especially when it's something you built. You know, you build the antenna. You build the power source. There's guys out there that build their own radios, you know, which is not really something I'm into, but um, because it is a lot of work. But still, it's really cool, man. It's still it's it's so cool to be able to
1: do all of that. So I have a follow. Yeah. You mentioned five watts. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's usually called on transmitting on QRP for like lower power as opposed to high power. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So generally QRP or
0: Quebec Romeo Papa uh, is low power communications and um, QRP is generally considered five watts and under. And it's kind of its own category of, you know, low power communications, ultralight communications. And, you know, it's a challenge. It, it, it's a challenge to run that little bit of power and still make those long distance contacts and those long distance QSOs. Um, now, you know, you can run more power. Uh, I suggest for for preppers, um, to have an HF rig or high-frequency rig, meaning, you you know, worldwide, global, uh, regional to global communications, uh, they can run a, up to 100 watts. And the reason why is that, you know, you should always be able to make communications or, or your, your commo with as little power as possible, but at the same time that 100 watts is kind of an insurance policy. So like if, if five watts it's, it's kind of like uh, in class, I talk about uh, comparing antennas and uh, signal strength and decibels and whatnot to a light bulb, right? So like if a light bulb is super dim, you know, you, you boost the power and it's much brighter. And our radio waves are pretty much the same because radio waves travel at the speed of light. So, um, think of your antenna is kind of like that light bulb, and your signal that's coming off of your antenna, your signal that's coming from your radio, is kind of like the light that's flooding the room. And so, if it's super dim, fi- a five watt light bulb is going to be pretty doggone dim. But a 60-watt light bulb is probably going to light your room up, right? So you boost that power up, and your signal is going to get that much stronger. And so if you think of uh, decibel strength the same as you would, say, uh, candle power or lumens off of a – you know, tack lights are are generally measuring in lumens. It's the same principle. It's the same idea. Um, And and so it makes it more – Relatable. So I mean, while the five watt rigs are really cool, like that QRP, that low power is really cool. Uh, to think, like you know, it, it's small. It uses batteries. Sometimes it uses internal batteries. Really, really good for that. Um, <sighs> At the same time, communicating regionally and and globally is going to be a serious challenge. So having that hundred watt rig, you can always cut the power down, you know. But but with a low power rig, with a QRP rig, you can't always cut the power up. So I always tell tell folks preppers, you know, if you're starting out, mm, yeah. get a hundred watt rig, um, a uh, Yesu eight fifty seven. Uh, 857 Delta, uh, the 857. If you can find a used uh, ICOM, ICOM 706 or 706, also another excellent rig to get. Uh, they've been out of production for a while now, but, um, they, they are hands down for a while. They, they were the most popular amateur radio in the world. And, uh, you know, you can, you can find one on the used market pretty cheap for, you know, $500 or so, which is cheap as far as, as 100 watt radios go. And, uh, you know. Just just good stuff, man. It's just really, really great starter rigs. And I'll tell you, both of those rigs are really small, so you can fit them in the dashboard of, uh, you know, like a Toyota or a Jeep or or something. So if you're building your, your uh, Overland rig, your off-roading rig, um, that radio is going to do you really, really well.
1: So this goes back to a question I had from earlier. So comments I occasionally see is, you know, um, what's stopping somebody from just buying one of these radios, not having the license to use it and then jumping on the air and then saying like, yeah, well, you know, when it all, when the balloon goes up, nobody's like, nobody's going to care if I have a call sign or not. So what's stopping that from happening? Oh man. So in answering
0: that question, I'll tell a story. Uh, So one of the first uh, open enrollment classes, public classes that I ran uh, for communications, RTO course, radio, telephone operator course, Uh, one of the very first classes that I ran, I had a gentleman who came to class and um, he sat in the back and didn't ask a whole lot of questions. And, you know, we're, we're diving into the course material and, and really getting into it. And we take our first break. And he comes up to me and he goes, uh, you know, I, I do a gear layout, which is, you know, pretty much a, a military standard deal. Is when I mean, you, you begin a course, you have your gear layout. Like, okay, you know, class, this is the the equipment we're going to be working with for the weekend. And, uh, you know, I show him the 857 that, that I have at the end of the table. And uh, we take our first break and he walks up to me and he goes, I've had two of those. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, they're, they're they're pretty common. And he goes, yeah, that's why I'm in this class. I said, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah. Uh, what's that box you have on top of it? And I said, well, that's uh, that's a tuner. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that later this afternoon. And he goes a tuner. I said, yeah. It, it uh, basically it matches the antenna length to the radio. It's like an insurance policy for your radio, so you don't burn your radio up with uh, if the SWR or standing wave ratio is too high. If the, if there's an electrical mismatch. And he looks at me and he goes, "You know, I think that's what I've been doing wrong. I set one of these on fire." <laughs> <laughs> so, and he said his his second one wasn't working now, and he didn't know why. and And it was also burn up uh, because he had brought it with him. So, I mean, and an eight fifty seven is not cheap. You know, you're you're talking about a nine hundred dollar radio. So this dude literally blew eighteen hundred dollars because he didn't know what he was doing. When all he had to do was go. Take a licensing test, which is free. Pay $15 for the license, and would have had someone called an Elmer. It's nicknamed an Elmer. You have, you know, somebody that's been a ham for a while, and you go to them and say, Hey, man, how do I do this? $15, a little bit of study time. Versus $1,800 to burn up radios and coming last, class and admitting, I don't know what I don't know. I mean, which one sounds smarter to you? What I'm here to tell you is, is that if you think, like, just because you own a, a wrench, you're not a mechanic. Just because you own a gun doesn't mean that you're competent in self defense and just because you own a radio and you you know that doesn't mean that when the chips are down you're going to magically know what you're doing because you're not you're i mean that it, it and it's not like a you know folks think that oh well I'll figure this out it can't be that hard no it's not that it's that hard you know i can you know man i i can change the head gasket on my power stroke you know I, I got a 6 power stroke I can change a head gasket on it if I watch somebody do it long enough and I do it a few times myself but if I get out like I have all the tools to do it but I don't have the working knowledge because that is not in my wheelhouse I am not a mechanic I don't know what I don't know about any of that and so the t- the amount of time it would take me to learn how to be a mechanic to do that myself, and all the time that I have invested in it, when I have all this mountain of other stuff that I have to do every day, it would have been easier for me just to go to a mechanic and tell him, "Hey, you know, man, my head gasket is blown. I-, I need for you to fix this." You know. So, point is, if you think that you're just going to magically have this working knowledge, you're not. And that's not like me sitting here saying like, oh, you should, you should get a high radio license because I did. No, my commo is not just going to magically freaking work, man. Everybody wants plug and play solution. And let's let's back up and say, well, maybe it does work that first time, but then something goes wrong. Well, now you don't have the working knowledge to troubleshoot. Your communications and work out the kinks, because I'll tell you uh, it from from uh, the green suitor side, from from the army side of things, all our common failures that we always had were operator error, all of them. The equipment rarely, if ever, failed. When it fails, everybody's like, "Oh, well, you know, first rule of combo is that commo is always going to fail." Well. Yeah, and if you're not dedicating the time, like, I can't take somebody to the range on a day, you know, one day, and expect them to be a sniper. I can't I can't put a Remington 700 in somebody's hand and just expect them to master the fundamentals of, of marksmanship and understand dope and understand their holdovers and hold-unders. And they ain't going to master that in a day, man. They're just not. And so comma is the same way. You don't have this plug and play solution. You have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And you got to learn where, where things are going to go bad, where things are not going to go bad. Like, yeah. So I've got two questions left.
1: Um, first off, so for people who are starting to go down this path, because um, you've taught a lot of people, both from the tactical sense and radio sense, um, what are the most common mistakes you see people making?
0: So the biggest mistake is thinking that your your equipment's always going to work and that uh, it's devoid of human error it, because everybody wants a replacement for a cell phone, if that makes sense. Like we're so used to plug and play, I cut my iPhone on or my Android or whatever, and it, it just works. And uh, man, when, when it's infrastructure you control, uh, an analogy I use is... It's a lot like converting to Linux. If you're used to running Windows or even uh, iOS and all of a sudden now you're running Linux where a lot of stuff is it's all configurable by the end user. But you have to have some working knowledge to know like how this stuff works. Comma running your own comma off grid is very, very similar. Um, and without that working knowledge, man, you, you're gonna run into a lot of problems. It, I mean, like I said, uh, when I first got into this, when I got out of the army and, and in the army, you know, like you're given your radio setup and and kind of your equipment as a baseline and everything, and uh, you learn the ins and outs of it. Well. Then I got out of the Army and I was looking for a civilian side solution to the same equipment that I used when I was in the Army. And the the thing is, is that there really isn't one. You know, it's all configurable and and controllable by the end user. So it's a major, we're running into is uh, they want a replacement for a cell phone and they ain't getting it.
1: So do you find that that, that user configurability for the, the civilian side of the market is a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Oh, it's a good thing, man. It's a good thing. It So it's a bad thing if you you know you want a plug-and-play solution necessarily, but it's a great thing once you embrace the modularity of all this and realize just how many doors are open when all the keys to the kingdom are in your hands you define what that piece of equipment does and what it doesn't. It's all in, it, you know, the power is completely up to you, you know, and and it, it's yours. And so once you understand what your equipment is capable of and what it'll do for you, um, man, you're talking about just major, major, major uh, capabilities that are there. And and the the cool thing is, is that uh, going back to that baseline piece of equipment, that Baofeng UV5R, uh, in the RTO course, I show folks it, uh, whether it's the basic RTO course or the advanced RTO course I show folks just what that cheap you know $25 piece of equipment is really capable of doing and uh, it's pretty doggone impressive man when when you're talking about freeware programs like FL Digi, um, and chirp, and, and those are free. And, and being able to program your radios and then sending digital messages using that $25 piece of equipment, um, that, that's pretty doggone hard to intercept and break. It's cool, man. It is cool stuff, but you got to train on it. You know, you got to train on it. You got to learn how to use it, you got to learn the ins and outs.
1: So I think you kind of answered my last question, which was going to be like, what, besides just everybody thinks radio in terms of, oh, I can talk back and forth, you know, even over long distances. But you just mentioned you can send messages. I've seen sending emails and actually using it in a lot of ways that most people don't know you can. Yeah. So uh,
0: especially with HF, you can use a program called WinLink. Uh, It's just like a win, like Windows, uh, WinLink. And it is a uh, linking protocol that you use over HF. The programming is free. Um, You know, any computer can support it. So if you have, um, like, uh, uh, Windows or or iOS, there's there's, uh, WinLink protocols for both of those. And some of your Linux distributions also have WinLink protocoling. And you can send emails. Uh, in fact, that that's a part of field day every year, you know, so you are talking about all this off grid communications capability that is accessible by a computer using a radio in lieu of conventional Internet, you know, and again, it takes work. It's, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about and kind of propagandizing all this good capability that you have out there, but you can't do any of it unless you're actually working at it. Uh, because if you're not, you you get overwhelmed. At the end of the day, all this stuff is really awesome, but you got to have the working knowledge to be able to harness it. And, and if you don't and you're not putting the work into it, then you're doing yourself a disservice.
1: You no, know, I feel like we could go down a whole another episode just talking about. You mentioned comsec, social communication security yeah. stuff, and hey, if I do have my prepper group, how do I keep things? You know, security. Oh yeah, keep the power low, keep moving, or try this one-time pads. We want to be really. Like, that's a whole different rabbit <laughs> hole to right. go down. Maybe another day. <laughs> so. That's right. Um, all right, so Scout, I have one more question. Then last one, uh, and then you can think about this in terms of either you know, the prepper community shooting stuff and saying to that or combo, But what is the one thing you wish people would stop doing right now? Uh, first
0: thing that comes to mind, stop thinking you're John wick. <laughs> um, stop the, the whole, uh, when I see people on the range tilt their weapon to the 45 and they're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look so cool and move to the next. It's like, bro, what are you doing? Stop, stop. You know, like you can't, you cannot accurately engage. So I get that one to six on the top of my AR, right? On the top of your AR you get that low power variable optic or that EOTech or whatever it is on the top of your weapon. Right? So why did you tilt it to a 45 where you can't continue engaging targets down range. What did you think that he was by himself? He didn't have buddies. Like that's not how the world really works in combat. So yeah, yeah you could, you could tell I get pretty serious about that in a hurry. But, uh, that's the one thing. If, Please stop that. Uh, it, it Stop tilting a weapon to the 45. The whole purpose behind that, where that came from, is uh, in competition. Your lane walker with you, your lane safety, can see that your weapon is either fully into battery or is locked to the rear. That's the whole reason that you do that. And, and it's competition born. It has nothing to do with reality. Uh, I really, really wish people would quit doing it.
1: All right. All right, Scout. Um, if anybody wants to find you or learn more information from anything we talked about today, where should they go? They should go
0: to brushbeater.wordpress.com. That is uh, my business site slash original blog. Um, I've got my training calendar up there, all the class dates. I, I've got a class coming up in Wyoming this week long. Um, if you're out in the Western States, I got another one that I'll be out there for a week in September. Um, and all my other course states that are up there, I got a Clash and course coming up, main course, uh, a couple of scout courses, RTO, basically anything that you're looking for on, uh, Combo skills and maybe some of the shooting skills I offer it. So check it out. Uh, the other site that I write for primarily these days, where I'm actually posting things, is American Partisan. Dot org I'm over there with uh, Matt Bracken and Jesse James and Johnny Mack and uh, some of the Patriot man some of these guys that, that are uh, constantly putting out high quality content some other trainers over there uh, gear makers UW gear uh, my buddy Hawkeye and uh, JC Dodge who's another trainer up in Pennsylvania um, but but we're all on there man and, and uh, it's it's good quality content. That
1: is put out daily. So come check it out. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming on and hanging out with me today. appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with NC Scout. I'm going to go through my key takeaway from this one. And this is a little different because usually I have like two or three key points to discuss. But this one is a little bit different for me. All right, I think there's an underlying idea here that he just kept saying over and over again. It just resonated so strongly with me, which is you have to put in the work. I don't know how many times I've said that in the past across practically every interviewer that I've gone to or every interviewee that I've spoken to, but that's the theme is you have to put in the work. You can't expect to go to the shooting range on the first day and come out shooting like a USPSA Grandmaster and radio works the same way. So to illustrate this, I want to use two examples. We'll call them the novice radio operator and the seasoned radio operator. The novice, which is frankly where I put myself, that's someone who just has the radio and has the license, but they just use it like a radio. They don't really dig in and take the time to learn how to make their own antennas, how radio is going to propagate, how to really get the most out of their equipment. You know, people like me, we just kind of want to plug in the frequencies we need to use with our team members or our overland group or camping or whatever, and we want to push that transmit button, and we want to be heard, and we want to hear others. And that's about as far as our knowledge goes. But there is so much more to it than a glorified walkie-talkie. A novice operator is going to rely on the local repeater network if there is one, and your range is going to be fairly limited. And for most of us, that sounds just fine. But as Scout put it, What happens when the repeater goes down? When you lose your reach of, say, the county, and now you're down to just a couple miles around your immediate location, assuming you even have a line of sight. Okay, maybe that still works for you. Maybe you have a team you're working with really locally. Great. But the real value of radio is what happens when you get that seasoned operator. The guy who knows how to make an antenna himself has some piano wire, some electric fence insulators, and then plug that thing in, and he can be heard all around the country or even the other side of the planet. And even more, he can do it on a very low amount of power. That is some skill. But if you are trying to prepare for the worst and you think the grid's going to go down, your cell phones aren't going to work, the Internet is out, and repeaters are out, aren't there because there's no power – That's the person you want on your team because they get that message out. And other cool skills he talked about once you really get good at this stuff is doing digital encryption, sending email over HF SkyWave. That means bouncing a radio signal off of the Earth's atmosphere and getting to the other side of the planet and including data in it, including an email message or a text message. And you get to own the entire platform. You're not relying on anybody else to get that message there for you. It's you and your own skill. That is my key takeaway. That is the reason that I and you and anybody else who's really serious about having capability needs to get out there and start practicing. So with that, get your license. I know you can buy the gear and and Scout recommended the Baofeng UV5R as a great starting point because less than $30 to get a radio that has a lot of capability, but you know, the sky's a little bit of what you can pay for this stuff, but you can't really practice with it legally unless you have that license. So that's really your first step, the first step on a long journey. Tell you what, I have a request of you. If you enjoy these episodes, if you enjoy what I'm doing here, come on by EverydayMarksman.co forward slash support. That takes you to our Kofi or that takes you to our Kofi page, spelled Kofi coffee however it's going to be spelled it's k-o-f-i but don't worry go to that link everydaymarksman.co forward slash support it takes you to that page and there you can help contribute for the cost of a box of ammo help contribute to the show to the website to the community and keep helping it grow i really do appreciate and by the way if you do contribute you get access to our private discord channel and you just get insight to all kinds of stuff going on into the future so i really do appreciate all my supporters out there and you guys rock I look forward to hanging out with you and talking with you on a regular basis and seeing what's going on in your life. All right, enough ranting out of me. Um, one last note before I sign off for the day. Uh, as I said in my email over the weekend, if you're not a subscriber, make sure you come by the website and subscribe to my emails. I promise not to spam your inbox. But as I said, life has gotten a little bit busy lately. So I'm going to be slowing down the podcast episodes just a little bit for a while. You know, every other week or so, I want to spend a little bit more time with my family. I feel like I've been been overworking myself between the day job the podcast the website and and everything else i just want to spend a little bit more time with my son and my wife i'll be slowing down the podcast episodes for a little bit uh not to worry though we're all still here all right that is it i look forward to talking to you in two weeks take care